just to know you, Lord. We would give everything we have just to know you. With with the Apostle Paul, we want to say, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, Lord. We ask that you would make us like yourself. And Lord, we thank you for the hope that's forever in our hearts that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And Lord, when I look at this congregation and I see your love reflected through them like um, sunshine through faceted glass, and I see your glory revealed in their eyes and their countenances, then I know, Lord, your hope is in our hearts and it's forever there. It can never be taken away. And so our hearts are full this morning. They're full of you. And God, we pray that you would do something great in us this morning that would prepare us for what you've planned for us to do this week. And Lord, whatever you say, whatever you ask, whatever you want, our answer to you is and always will be yes. Lord, when like Carol, we walk through the water, we were saying yes to you. And so Lord, we can't tell you no now, not after all that you've done for us. So God, show us what you want us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. God is good all the time. time. It's so good to worship with you. It's been a great, great weekend. When I left you last week, we were thinking about God's word and I was asking you if you would, if you would plan this week to memorize God's word, to meditate on God's word and to meet God in his word. We believe when we worship that Jesus is here and that he's speaking. So here's my question. When you were in God's word this week, two questions. One, what did he say to you in his word this week? And second, this one's the harder one. What are you doing about what he said to you in his word this week? I had the chance to pray with some fellow pastors. It's always nice to meet at Taste of Texas for like anything, but we were there. And you know, of all the great culinary experiences I've had there, Nothing quite like praying with my fellow pastors this week and asking God to pour out his spirit and praying for the fellow churches and deciding together. And what God said to me is that in these next 40 days that begin with this Wednesday night leading to Good Friday, that I would fast one meal a week to pray for my family. That's what God's telling me to do. And to pray for this family called Tallowood and to pray for God's family in this city. That's what God told me to do this week. So if you see me eating breakfast on a Friday morning, feel free to call me out. Say, hey, God told you now. And my word to you is, I don't know what God told you this week, but I know this, if you will open his word, he's gonna tell you to do something. And then the question will be, the second question, what are you going to do about that? I love these be obedient uh, shirts. I have one of my own. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for it because it challenges us. And when I first saw it, my first thought was that song that we sang, and I understand we're teaching it to our children and children's choirs, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And when I was reading in Paul's letter to the Ephesians this week, it occurred to me that Paul thinks, I wonder what we think, Paul thinks that the only people who finally obey are those who first put their full trust in God. It's not obey and then you'll start trusting. It's trust and then you'll be able 
to obey. Look at the way uh, Henry Blackaby put this. I think this is powerful. God's commands are designed to guide you to life's very best. So much for the thought that God's just trying to mess up my fun. No, God's, God's commands for our lives are designed to guide us to his very best for us. But you will not obey him. I will not obey him if we do not believe him and trust him. And we can't believe him if we don't love him. And we can't love him if we don't know him. What did we just sing? Give all I have just to know you. Just to know you. Would you open God's word with me today? Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. You know verses eight and nine really well, but my goal is when you leave that you'll know verse 10 better than eight and nine because I think they're sequential and I think they're progressive and they build to a crescendo and it'd be kind of weird to get like halfway through a song and then just leave. And here's the thing, the crescendo, verse 10 is the best part. We were made for verse 10. I wanna show you that in God's word. Stand with me as we read and in reverence for our God and his word, we stand And we wait for him because God has a word for us today and we welcome the Holy Spirit in this place. But here's the really good news. Yeah, he he welcomes us into this place if we'll receive his welcome today because this is his place and we are his. And in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, this is what Jesus says through the apostle Paul to his church in Houston on March the 2nd. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, preaching and hearing and doing of his word. Please be seated. So how does it feel? I just need to know. How does it feel to be a trophy of God's grace? You know, that's what that word means in verse 10. You are God's work of art. You are his masterpiece. Think of all the beautiful things you've seen in the world. For me, the waterfall at St. Mary's Mary's waterfall in Glacier National Park, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. We have a video of me with my kids when they were little and I was trying to explain to them and it's pretty, it's, it's comic fun now for the family to watch the video of me explaining why this is so beautiful and we're walking through the frozen tundra in July up in Glacier National Park and we're walking on a hike to get to that waterfall because it's like a pilgrimage for me to see this beautiful place in the Alps of Switzerland when I was a kid and this Christmas break, the Grand Canyon on Facebook, I saw this week a picture of Chase and Casey with the backdrop of the Grand Canyon. And it is beautiful. And if you ask me, when was God at his best? Was it like when you look up and you don't have the light pollution and you see all the stars and the handiwork that he has made? Was that when God was at his best? And Paul says, I'll tell you when God was at his best. I'll show you his masterpiece. This is God's great work of art. This is Michelangelo's Pieta, God's style. Here it is. You are God's masterpiece of grace and you were created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God always prepared for you, NASB, New American Standard Bible, 
to walk in. God always wanted us to walk in good works. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. And here's the danger for us. If somebody just sees our t-shirt and it says, be obedient, and they think they can do that apart from the grace of God, they are in for, we are in for a lot of frustration if we think we can just go out and try harder to do better. By the way, that is not the gospel That is moralism. If everybody would just be more obedient, if the unsaved people would just act more saved, wouldn't that just be wonderful? Wouldn't the world just start being a better place if we all just tried harder to do better? And Paul says, that is a train wreck waiting to happen because dead people don't obey. And in verse one of Ephesians two, Paul says, the problem wasn't that you were sick. The problem wasn't that you were weak. The problem wasn't that you were just helpless. The problem is, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were disobedient and we were destined for wrath. But God, I love those two words, but God. We were in a lot of trouble. We were disobedient. We were under the influence of disobedience and we were destined for trouble. But God, because he was rich in love and grace, brought us back to life. And the thing about obeying is you have to be alive to obey. And the only way we get alive is in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And I know, I know that you receive grace that help you to find forgiveness of sins. What I want to know is, is that grace working in your life after you became a Christian. I know you have a faith by which you found forgiveness, but I just want to know, does your faith function fully? What have you done with your faith since you became a believer? Because Paul has this idea that not only are we saved, justified by grace through faith, but we are being sanctified by grace through faith and we will be glorified by grace through faith. And once we realize that we are God's masterpiece, God's work of art, then we can do good. Then we can be obedient because Christ performs this work in us and makes us to be able to do what we could never do without him. Two thoughts today. The first one, by faith, we access the grace which transforms our lives. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is opposed to earning. That is, I can never earn God's favor because it's unmerited and he gives it graciously to me. It is not, by the way, opposed to effort after I become a believer. It's just opposed to earning. So I'm not able to earn God's love. What this means is no matter what you and I do, we cannot make God love us more than he already does. I think that's really good news that God could not love us more than he already does. That is an empowering thought. It means that you and I aren't working in a way to somehow get him to love us. That's moralism. But Christianity is God loves me. I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. I can do what God called me to do because of what Christ is doing in me. Do you see the difference between the two? It's by grace, he says, that you have been Saved and, and, and the key is we could talk about our sin in verses one to three and the train wreck that our lives were. But what I think is really interesting is verse nine when he says, so that no one can boast. And maybe you and I can kind of find out where our hearts are today by what we brag about, by what we boast about. Uh, Andy Stanley says that the problem that we have with this is we compare ourselves to other people because we all want to be 
er. You know what he means by that? Like it's not enough to be rich. We want to be rich er than other people are. It's not enough to be smart in school. We want to be smart er. It's not enough to be pretty. We want to be pretty er. It's not enough to be athletic. We want to be athletic. That's not a word, but okay, I got you. And the thing is, we want more of this. Why? Because these are things that we boast in. But I want to tell you something about heaven, folks. When we get to heaven, you and I are not going to be talking in heaven about what we did for God. But we're going to talk forever. I read it this morning in Psalm 61. We're going to sing his praises forever because of what he did for us. And so if we can just start with grace, that will set us free from the idea that we can save ourselves by what we do. We can never save ourselves. We are not saved by good works. That's a clear teaching. We are not. Galatians 2, 15 and 16. We are justified by faith alone in God's grace. And it is faith that enables us to access God's grace. And here's the deal. If you and I were dropped into the ocean a thousand miles from shore, let's say there were three people, one who's a not very good swimmer. That would be me. That's why I stopped doing triathlons because it's very hard to ride the bike after you drown. And that's why I quit doing triathlons. I'm not a very good swimmer. I'd make it about 30 seconds. Maybe though you're an average swimmer. Maybe you're even a lifeguard at the local pool and you might make it 30 minutes. And maybe somewhere in here, I heard somewhere in here um, that somebody's a really, really good swimmer. And maybe like you're going to be in the Olympics someday and that would be awesome. And if you were that kind of swimmer, maybe you could swim 25 hours out there in the ocean. And that's good news, except you've got 275 hours more to go to make it a thousand miles. And I don't know how good you are, but you're not that good. And the message of the gospel is we're not good enough to save ourselves any more than we're able to swim a thousand miles. We cannot do it. But the good news is, but God... <laughs> But God has done it for us in Jesus Christ. So, so he saves us by grace through faith. And look, it's not, it's not like you and I look. I heard a preacher say this one time. Well, we're like that, that frog that fell in the pail of milk, which is just kind of an ugly thought as I think about it. But he just kept paddling because he didn't want to drown. And he kept paddling until the milk started getting harder. And finally it became butter. And he just kind of hopped out of the pail. That's the American view of Christianity. Well, I'm just going to try harder and maybe God will love me more, except it doesn't work. The frog, to make the analogy complete, will drown. You're not going to turn it into butter. You're not going to be good enough to please God. You're not going to get there on your own. So if we can just kind of get that established, and I know that's sort of basic level Christianity, but sometimes I think we miss that and we think it's about moralism. We project this message to the country that's not right. And so I want us to get beyond that because look, here's the thing. We can't save ourselves. I saw um, um, Billboard, maybe you've seen it too, um, that says, are you good without God? It's sponsored by atheists in our country. It's in various cities in our country. You may see it. Are you good without God? And then underneath it, it says millions of people are. And the idea is that I can be good without God. And I'm not going to deny that there aren't atheists who, who do some good. That's not my point at all. In fact, I might say there are atheists who do a lot of good in our world. They pay their taxes and they give to charity and they do lots of things. But here's my point. None of us can be good enough to have relationship with God because the standard is too high. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Helpless look to you for grace. Naked come to you for dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me 
Savior or I die. I have a music minister friend who will not sing that verse of Rock of Ages in a church because he doesn't like the idea of being foul and having to fly to the fountain. But one time when he said that to me, I said, so what's your plan? Because <laughs> we are foul and without the fountain, we're never gonna be washed. So I know it's kind of uncomfortable to sing about being foul, but the truth is there's no other way. And so if we can just start there and say, it's by faith, by trust, that we access the grace by which we're transformed, then we can get to the really good news of verse 10. Because it's true, we're saved by faith alone, but we are not saved by faith that is alone. The book of James and our devotionals we've been studying together in the mornings says faith without works is dead. And real faith produces fruit. And you say, well, what about a person who gets saved and goes through the water and then they live like the devil the rest of their lives? And I'd say about this, faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. It wasn't real saving faith if it's not redeeming, transforming faith. God wants to change us. And here's the really good news. When he changes us, then we're able to be instruments of change in the world. And part of our issue is we misunderstand faith. We, we think faith is just about forgiveness of sins. Look, forgiveness is like getting out of jail, which I've never been in jail, but I would think it's a really good thing to get out of jail. Faith, um, forgiveness is like getting out of jail, but justification is like being awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's not just that you're no longer denied access. It's that the whole world is opened up to you to become all that God knew you could B. Oz Guinness in his book, The Call, Lester Collins. I love Lester Collins running through the finish line. Gave me a, a book this week, The Call by uh, Oz Guinness. I had lost my copy or given it away. And, and it, Oz Guinness says, yeah, you just have to do what you are. You got to do what you are. What? You mean you're redeemed? Look, our world says I am because I do. I do Therefore, I am. Gerard Manley Hopkins, um, I am what I do. He says in his, in his poem, I am what I do. But he says, but I say more. The just person, has God made you just, justified? The just person justices, keeps grace that keeps all her goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in eyes. Lovely in limbs, not his, to the Father through, our, through the features of our faces. In other words, Christ plays in us. He lives in us. Christ plays the, the role of us in the world. What would, what would Jesus do if he were you? Because that's what he wants us to do. And that happens also by grace, God's unmerited favor through faith, as we put all of our trust in him by faith we are able to become and to do. And this is what he says about these good works that he wants us to do. I just want you to see this in verse 10. He prepared them beforehand, like before the foundation of the world, God planned for his people after they became saved to do good works. And this is what we walk in. This isn't just what we aspire to. This is what we actually do. To be God's masterpiece is to be a, a fully functioning person of faith who lives out our faith by doing good in the world. And what is that faith? It's the same faith by which Paul says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, listen to this, but the life I now live, I live how? By faith. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I think it's what the writer of Proverbs was talking about when he said, trust, that's the word faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, submit to him, and he will make your paths 
straight. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about faith. Faith is that attribute that creates action. And for God to change us, he had to, he had to accomplish resurrection. Some of us saw that movie yesterday, the son of God and that powerful, I mean, that story never gets old, does it? I mean, that story, I mean, we had kids crying when Jesus was being crucified. Well, might, I was thinking of that hymn. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in. When God, the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin. Yeah, it is sad that Jesus was crucified, but I love that whole Sunday part. I love that whole Sunday morning early and they get to the tomb and the rock. I love the artistic license is not just rolled away. The stone has been exploded. And here is Jesus alive saying, who are you looking for? I wonder if Jesus might say to Tallywood this week, when we walk out the door, when we wake up tomorrow morning to go to school or to work, who are you looking for today? Because if you're looking for the Lord of life who overcame death, hell and the grave, I'm here and I'm talking. And what am I saying to you? And what are you gonna do about what I'm saying to you, faith is that attribute that creates action. And what Paul says is for Jesus to do this, there had to be a resurrection, but God brought us back to life. There had to be a new creation. He made us brand new and created life in us. This is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and this faith. I was just reading in Ephesians this week and just seeing this. And I know in two, eight and nine, it says by grace, you've been saved through faith. I was saying, what else did Paul say about faith? Did he think that faith was active after you became a Christian? Because he starts the book in 1 uh, 15 with uh, there's this, this um, faith and love that you have. And then in chapter three, verse 12, he talks about this faith and, and he says about our faith that it gives us access to be bold before God. And then in verse 17, it gets even better. He says, then, then, then Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. So there's this intimacy that God's developing within us. And then in, in chapter four, it's that one faith that goes with one Lord and one baptism and one hope. And it's this faith, he says in 413, that unites us. And then in chapter six, he says, this faith is your shield that will extinguish the darts that the evil one shoots. You better have faith after you become a Christian because the evil one is shooting real burning arrows at you. And how do you have a hope of overcoming temptation? Yeah, that would be faith, faith that's alive after you become a believer. And he ends the letter with the reverse of how he started it. He started it uh, with faith and love and he ends it with peace to you and love with faith. And where do you get it? From God, from God. See, even our faith, Paul says, we didn't come up with that. Salvation, that wasn't our idea. That's all God. He did all of that so that we could do good. That's why you were wearing red X's when I saw some of you. How many of you still got your red X's? How many of you have not had a shower since Thursday? I need to know. Because I had one, but it's gone. See, it's, it's gone. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We had nine girls at our house this weekend. I'm just saying that's amazing. Amazing. Um, where are our girls? Just kind of wave. Where are you in the room? Some of you are here. I know our girls all went home. They're worn out. There's one up there. I see that. <laughs> you know how outvoted I was? Nine girls, um, three girl dogs and a girl guinea pig and Melanie. I did not take a vote all weekend because I would have lost. There's no doubt. Just amazing and grateful for that. And here's what I want to say about that. That red X means we're going to stand against human trafficking and slavery in our world. The, seven, the, the, the 27th of February, 27 million slaves gonna take a stand against that. I thought about William Wilberforce and how he overcame slavery in his country because he was faithful and he would not 
quit, but it all happened after he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Bonhoeffer, yeah, he became a Christian. I read this week, he became a Christian when he went to New York City and in Harlem, he ended up in the Abyssinian Baptist Church and that's where he heard gospel music and that's where he encountered God and he took that with him back and started the confessing church movement over in Germany and was making a difference and took a stand against Hitler when everybody else was capitulating. He was the one who was standing strong. And here's what I wanna say, our hope of doing good works in this world rests firmly in our faith in the God who not only saved us, but had already planned for us after we were saved to do good. There is good that he wants us to do. I heard it in Charlotte's testimony last week, Charlotte Kaiser. She goes over and builds a library over in Kenya and then talks about the relationships and then points her finger at every one of us in this room and says, why don't you go on a mission trip? Yeah, well, why don't we? Why don't we, get, why, why don't we just start like when we leave here today, that's your mission trip, just go. You're on mission for him today, everywhere you go, this whole week, next week too. By the way, till he calls you home, you're on. Consider yourself on a mission trip for the rest of your life and do what he's called you to do. And you can do good, but you can't do it on your own. And sometimes we think, I just can't do the good things in the world because I'd have to be super, superman or, or, or superwoman or superhuman or something. And I love uh, the um, quote we had in the little book this week. Was it Nicole, the young girl in sub-Saharan Africa? This is what she said. I'm realizing I don't have to be superhuman to do God's will, but I do need a heart that trusts. That's the word faith, trust. I do need a heart that trusts him where he leads me. I need a heart that does that. Remember in the movie yesterday uh, when Peter's in the boat with Jesus and there's no fish out there, but suddenly when Jesus gets in the boat, there's fish everywhere and they fill up the boat with fish and Peter looks over at him and Jesus says, now you're gonna fish for people like this. And Peter says, what are we gonna do? And Jesus says, yeah, we're gonna change the world. And by faith, we access the grace that transforms our lives. Also by faith, we accomplish the good which transforms the world in which we live. Jesus is present and speaking. What is he saying to us today? And here's the harder question. What are we gonna do about it? Let's pray. God, I thank you for loving us the way you do. I thank you for your mercies that are new, for the chance to be here, Lord, and proclaim your word and sing to you and love you publicly so that everybody can see where our allegiance and our devotion lies. And now help us, I Lord, help us, I pray, Lord, to be faithful as disciples of Jesus. And we ask it in his name, amen.